What is the most natural thing you do? Maybe I should ask your wife. <laughs> we could have some, probably some amusing discussion if I were to ask you, what is the most natural thing you do physically? Okay. The most natural thing you're going to do without thinking is to breathe. What is the most natural thing you want to do spiritually? Is to pray. I think, well, how, do you, how do you really know that? As one of our church fathers said, God has created in every one of us a, a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And... It is man's natural desire as a created being, which we all are created beings, to communicate with his creator. My natural desire spiritually is I want to pray. I want to talk to God. I want to talk to my creator. I want to know him. And yet, it's one of the most difficult things for us. You feel like, is God there? Does He hear me? Is, you know, I feel like there's chains uh, holding me back, like bars to heaven, like my prayers don't get past the ceiling. I'm talking. I, I, I know He's there because I read in the Bible, it says He's there and He tells me to pray, but I, I just am not feeling it. It is a struggle. I don't know of anything in my life when it comes to the spiritual disciplines that I struggle with more than prayer. I'm saying that as a pastor. It is, there, there is a, a struggle, and, and I think it, it comes back to this, that when God the Creator created man and his wife, there was perfect relationship. It was intimate, it was close, it was real, it was, I mean, it was, it was the very best relationship possible. And so, that's, how, that's the original design. Creator God creates man, creates woman. Perfect relationship. Prayer is just talking constantly. God communicating with man. And then something happened in chapter 3 of Genesis. With man's freedom of his will to be able to choose, which God allowed him to have, he chose to sin. Sin entered into the world and now... There is a separation between God and man. And sin is present in this world today. Sin, sin makes everything difficult, makes everything hard, makes everything worse. But the disciples noticed something about Jesus. They noticed that the most natural thing, he did, not just that He wanted to do, but the most natural thing He did was go aside to a solitary place and pray. He talked about his father in heaven. He it was so natural. And they wanted that. We want that. And so they they said, "Lord, this is in chapter 11 of Luke, very similar setting. They said, "Lord, teach us to pray. We long 
to pray. And Jesus, in fact, is not only the one who has perfect and intimate relationship with His heavenly Father, the closeness that they saw, He is also the one to give us the instruction and the access to be able to have the very same type of relationship. To me, that is one of the most exciting things in all of Scripture. And so, we turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is a great, great passage of Scripture. And it's in the middle of what we would call the Sermon on the Mount. A, a sermon by Jesus really sharing the difference between authentic, real Christianity and authentic, real faith and authentic, real prayer and the fake stuff. (laughs) And he was very good at exposing that with those that would say they were religious. And this is what he says, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. Verse 9 of chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. And we've called this often the the Lord's Prayer. It's probably more accurately the disciples' prayer. A disciple is a follower. So those following Jesus, this is how you pray. The Lord's Prayer, we have recorded for us probably best in John 17 when he is right before he's going to the cross. And he's talking to his father from his heart. But this is how you should pray. Now he's told us in verse 5 how not to pray. So from 5 to 8, he kind of exposes what in the popular culture of that day, what people would say, this is really how you pray. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. In other words, the ones wearing a mask, the ones who have the front, the... Uh, image of spirituality. Not real. He says they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward because they're getting the praise of men. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, it doesn't mean that public prayer is not important because, in, in, fact, in fact, when we read this verse, it says, Our Father, so there's, there's a group of people. But it means that when you, you go into the back room and get alone and pray to your Father, it means this is personal. Designed to be personal. It's designed to be real. And he says, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that by... Because of their many words, they'll be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is how you should pray. This is very familiar. I'm going to read this prayer. And it's not so much that this is just a prayer that we repeat, though we often do. We have probably a number of different Bible translations, so I'm not going to say this all. (laughs) Say it together, but I'm going to read it in a moment. It's, it's more than just a prayer to repeat. It's a pattern. And I think in, in this prayer, we're going to learn a great deal about what it means to communicate and to connect and have real, vital relationship with God. In verse 9, he says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this morning, I'm going to just tackle the first line. If I can't, in fact, I feel overwhelmed by doing that, where he says, Our Father who is in heaven. He is speaking to God. Jesus is speaking to God, telling followers, This is how you speak to God. And he uses this word, Father. Father. That may be may seem familiar to us, but for the disciples, that was not a familiar word to describe God. In all of the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father 15 times. In the New Testament, He is referred as, to as Father 245 times. Just in Matthew's account of the Gospel, 43 times, He calls Him Father. In the Gospel of John, over a hundred times, God is referred to as Father. So, Jesus is trying to help His followers, His disciples, get a picture of who who are you coming to? Who, who Who are you trying to connect with? So, what's His name? Well, there are many names. There there are hundreds of descriptions and names for God. Why didn't He use one of the other ones? Why did He use Father? And I don't think it's wrong, by the way, to pray to Jesus or to pray to the Holy Spirit. We find examples in the Scripture. To pray to any one of the names of God. I don't think that's wrong. But He has chosen this word, Father. Why not... Why not Elohim? In other words, Creator God. In other words, I'm the creature, want to connect with the Creator, so Creator and Sovereign. That majestic name that God is sovereign over all things, and this is how I come to you. Why not El Shaddai? Which means God Almighty. Why don't I start my prayer off by saying, God Almighty? I could think of reasons for that. Or El Elyon the Most High God, or El Olam, the Everlasting God, or Jehovah, the Self-Existent One. Why don't I pray to Him? What about this? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So when I have needs, why don't I cry out to Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide all my needs? Or Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Or Jehovah Sabaoth, the the Lord of hosts of the armies of heaven. Jehovah Roy, my shepherd. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is here. Or the name commonly used in the Old Testament is Adonai, for God, the majestic Master Lord. But He's chosen Father. This is how you pray. Our Father. How do you understand God? 
I think it's important that we understand Him as Father. This is, this is how it is addressed. We find this also with Luke and John making reference in Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. He always uses this word, Father. And I think this, that He says, Father in heaven. Why did He say that? And I think because Father, the word Father is personal, intimate, relational. It's right here. I understand that. I I can understand Father. In heaven, Father in heaven means that all of these others' names, He still is. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-wise. He is sovereign, great, the judge of all the earth. Yes, in His immensity, God is all of those things. And yet, when you come to Him, He's your Father. He's your Father. So it doesn't diminish to me anything about the majesty and glory and greatness of Almighty God when we say... He is also personal. And I think that this is missing today in the church because we have a good academic and a good intellectual view of God. In other words, we we can read what He is. We can read about His names. We can read about what He does. But how many of us have a real, vital, intimate relationship with God? It's been my number one prayer this year for my life. That's why this message, preparing for this message, has probably touched me as much as any in the last several years. I long for that kind of relationship with Him. And this this word has so ministered to my heart this week. Matt, you need to see God. Yes, all you can describe Him. I can do all of that. I can, I can tell you the theology. I can tell you His attributes, but I need to see Him as my Father. Now, when I say that, we immediately have a little bit of struggle. Because a Father creates in our minds a picture. And the picture is probably what our experience has been. There are people seated here this morning that have had abusive fathers. People here that have had demanding fathers that you cannot please. Self-righteous fathers. Angry fathers. Mean fathers. Absent fathers. And it is hard to grow up in a a particular experience and to translate that into something good, if if this is negative. Fortunately for me, and I, I can't take any credit for this, but God gave me a dad growing up who I couldn't have asked for anything better. And he gave me a father-in-law who was equally that way. But I look at the elders in our church. We have five elders and we have a number of deacons. I think that most of the elders in this church did not have a great experience with their physical father, biological father. And so 
I feel like that God blessed me with that, but I, but I, in a way, I feel God has blessed them too because as, as they've had to work through this to get a right picture of a, the right kind of father, they're able to help people who have gone through these similar experiences. God is the perfect father. There is no flaw in him. Now, how can I get my brain reprogrammed to view Father as a perfect, wonderful, incredible Word? And I think it's one through the Scriptures because God does teach us about what a father should be and the kind of father he is. And I think the second thing is that in the church, God gives other models. You were talking to me, Craig, yesterday. I think we were, I was going through this with Craig, and he said, yeah, but my stepfather and my grandfather models. Talked to Tom Tice. Tom was, had, had a very, very difficult time growing up with his father. He shared that. I think he'll probably share his testimony of that more later. But what he did, he said one time, he said, I picked out a man that I felt I wanted to be like. So it was apart from his family. So you've got you to work through those things. But my, my belief is this. We've got to work through it to get a right view and a right picture of the perfect father. And, and you know what? As good as my dad is and as good as Diane's dad is, not perfect. <laughs> not perfect. And so anything on this earth, if I, if I make as a mirror example, is going to fall dreadfully short. But, but God is the perfect Father. <laughs> and this is how Jesus wants you to see Him. This is what Jesus calls Him. When, when Jesus, in, in, in John 17, when He's the, high pre, or the, the prayer that He comes before God, the Garden of Gethsemane, when He's on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them. Remember that? This is, this is the kind of relationship He has with God, it's the kind of relationship He wants you to have. Now, the perfect Heavenly Father, how would I describe Him? He is a provider of everything you need. How did you start that off, Paul, at the beginning of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Because I shall not want, but it basically saying, I have the Lord is my shepherd, is your father, and you have everything that you need. He is a provider. He is your protector. I think of dad as being a protector. He is a leader. He is a defender. He is an advocate. He is a helper. He is my identity. He is my security. You think of that as a, as a kid. <laughs> You don't worry about anything. You just feel secure. And I'm also part of his family. I am a joint heir. Jesus says that you are joint heirs with me. In other words, my father has, he owns everything. <laughs> okay. My father owns everything and I'm his son. And Jesus said we are joint heirs together and that we are inheriting everything the father has. So, He protects me. 
That's when you go back to Father in heaven. He is the, the righteous judge, the sovereign, the almighty God, the all-powerful. And he is all of these things. But he's right here. And the other thing I thought is, he's always your father. You know, I could, I could do a lot of bad things. I'm still the son of my father. My kids could choose to live whatever kind of life they want to live. Nothing's going to change the fact that I'm their father. And I think it's a, it's a powerful thing that when you realize all that He has given and provided, and in verse uh, 8, right before the Lord's Prayer here, it says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You turn the page to chapter 7 of, of Matthew. In verse 11, or look at verse 9, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, you're going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? You know, I can't think of a time when my kids came running to me that I didn't want to pick him up. I try to think if there's a time I said, no. <laughs> no love today. Now I'm thinking, you know what? When they're hurt, when they're happy, when they're whatever. When my kids come running to dad and will jump up in my lap, I'm always going to take them in. And it the heart of a father, there is nothing that he wants more than his kids to do well. And you know what? The truth is, I'd give my kids anything unless it hurt them. I'd do that for my grandkids. I'd do that for most kids. I mean, I'd give them anything and see God with His unlimited resources will give you every good thing, will not withhold one thing from His children unless it's going to hurt you. How many times have your kids been mad at you because you didn't let them do something and you knew because it wasn't good? It's the only reason. It's not because you didn't want them to be happy. It is a personal relationship. Peter says it this way, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. At the time when I was early on in our marriage, I remember going through a tough time and... Um, Oh, I've always had a good relationship with my dad, but you know, I don't want to burden him with stuff, and I don't. And sometimes you're embarrassed by having to tell him you're struggling. And I remember calling my dad one time, and I said, "Dad, I really didn't want to bring this up. I didn't really want to come to you about this." And he said, "Matt, I'm the first person you should come to." I thought, just a reassurance that that door is open. Can never think of a time where my kids running up to me. I didn't pick them up, set them in my lap. And I remember still Sarah grabbing my face. I've told this story. She grabbed my face and because I was not paying attention. She grabbed my face and turned it right to her face, put her nose right up against my nose. And she goes, Daddy, 
daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy. And you know what? Eventually, I listened. She's going to get what she keeps asking for. <laughs> the Jewish people use the word Abba. Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. means dad, daddy. It is the most informal. It's not disrespectful. It's informal. It is personal. It is relational. It's one of those words that sounds like what it means. And just like a little girl hopping in your lap, grabbing your face, and daddy, 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 daddy. You've had that. This, this is how God wants you to view Him. This is what Jesus wants to connect with you. That this is, you jump on His lap, so to speak. It's personal. It's relational. You keep on talking. You keep on asking. And His heart is to do good to you. And to bless you. And to protect you. And to give you whatever you ask for. Unless He knows it's going to hurt you. I think of uh, our kids right now. Our family's kind of going through an upheaval because we got kids. We never thought our kids would live in Colorado. Now we got two sets moving here this next month or two. And so that that a lot of things are happening just really fast. Like my son-in-law, his last day at work is into March. They put their house on the market Friday ago. Next day, had four four offers, and they're going to close. He didn't have a job. <laughs> they're going to move up here. They're going to move in with us. And our house is really small, you know, and, I, and it's like a small house kind of gets smaller and smaller and smaller. <clears throat> and so you're thinking, okay, we got to we got to get a job. And then Sarah is thinking, i got to get the kids in school. So she's checking out all the schools, and the schools are saying, well, we can't have you, you know, not the spring. We get you in the fall, but we can't get you in the spring. So we're going to homeschool. I'm thinking, homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, see, I usually study at home. <laughs> and And so... Sarah's kind of, Diane's just running around thinking, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to get this. Did Josh get his job yet? And, and uh, we got interviews. We got, we got doing that. And we got to look for homes. We got to do all this. And so you can think of this. And, and you guys, that's, that's kind of our life right now. You've got your story of stress. <laughs> we all do. We all have these things happening to us all the time. And you're no different than us. But the thing is, we'll get through this. And we'll all get through this, right? I mean, probably by the Time I was telling Sarah on Saturday or Friday, I said, by the time the summer rolls around, you look back and say, oh, we got through all that. But right now, it's just really, really intense. And all of these things, getting inspections on the house, and we've got to do these, and, and what are we going to do with our cars? Are we going to take this one or leave this one here? And all, all this stuff. And I look at little Ross, not our, our son, but my grandson, Ross. He's three years old. And he's just as happy about everything as can be. I mean, he is absolutely, absolutely not stressed. He's just having fun. He's not worried about school. He's not worried about where he's going to sleep. He's not worried about what he's going to eat. Why is that? Well, he needs to know those things. <laughs> what happens is the older we get 
the less childlike we are. And Jesus said, if, if you really want to grasp this, you need to see me as your father and you need to be in faith like a child. You trust me. See, little Ross doesn't agonize over that stuff. Your kids don't agonize. They agonize over other things. But not, not, not this type of thing. And this is the concept that, that for you, and, and, and you've seen this repeated so many times in your own lives, you see that the simplicity of children, the childlike faith coming to Him, and that's what Jesus said, allow the children to come to Me because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it says, He brought them to Himself, and it says He touched them. He physically held these kids. What, what a great picture of the perfect Father. Get your mind around that. Get your heart around that. See Him that way. See yourself as His favorite child. <laughs> to realize that that relationship, He has adopted you into His family. You say, well, isn't, it, isn't God everyone's Father? We call that, in theological terms, the, uh, the universal fatherhood of God. In other words, God is everybody's father. But He's not. God is not everyone's father. And how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, God is everyone's creator, but He is not everyone's father. He said in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You, speaking to the Pharisees, the religious ones, and the unbelievers, he said, You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> That's pretty pointed, isn't it? Because you're sinners. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he offered to all of us eternal life. John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God. In other words, how do I, how do I become a child of God? How do I become where He's my Abba, my, my Daddy, my Father? How do I become that? By receiving by faith the gift of eternal life. And immediately you are His child. Secure, set, heir, and nothing can change that. In chapter 10, he says, my sheep, this is Jesus speaking about his sheep, my sheep speaking of the people, they hear my voice and they know me and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. You may know that verse, but look at the verse that, that follows that. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. No one can snatch you out of your Father's hand. So Jesus is not only giving instruction about what it's like to pray to your Father. He's paved the way. He's shown them. You know, my prayer... For, for all of us. Because, and I like this, that the first word of the prayer is our. <laughs> you can be thinking of this as an individual, and, I, and that's kind of the way I've been thinking about it all week, but I think of that corporately as our church. 
How does Valley Community Church view God when we pray? Is our Father in heaven. All that He is in heaven. And He loves us and He cares for us. And we can jump up in His lap and we can talk to Him about everything. We don't need to shrink back and we have no reason to worry about a thing in life. So know the Father. Know the Father through Jesus. See Him as your Father. And come to Him when you pray. When you pray as your Father. And it says that when you come to Him in secret, He rewards you openly. And I believe this. For me, it is... It has taken prayer, and I, I've felt for decades now, prayer has been, been a big, big part of what, what I've wanted in my life. I feel like it has brought prayer from here to here for me. To just seeing Him as my Father. Loving Him as my Father. Going to Him as my Father. Talking to Him like as my Father. My perfect Father. And my prayer is for you this week. You'll see Him that way. And you'll run to him that way. And you'll hop up in his lap and grab his face and talk to him. And you know, I believe when we do that, there is nothing that brings more joy to the heart of God. Think about this as a parent. There's nothing that brings more joy than my kids would run up and hop in my lap. And God delights in that because we delight in him. Let's bow together as we pray.